Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The European Le Mans series on RS3. On RS3. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. It's round four of the European Le Mans series. Le Mans itself is done, and of course that provided an opportunity for an awful lot of ELMS teams to take part in the big race. But now it is back to the bread and butter stuff of the four-hour races to the end of the season. Here in Italy at Monza for round four, and then at the end of the month, we'll turn our attention to the south coast of Portugal for the final race of the season, the four hours of Portimao. But... So many Ferraris here, of course, in the homeland of the Tifosi. Sadly, nobody on site to enjoy it for very obvious reasons with the current pandemic. But it does mean that uh, you can hopefully enjoy the race virtually via the TV and via our coverage in the audio as well. I'm delighted you can join us. My name's Johnny Palmer, joined again to my right by Peter Snowden with first-hand experience of this race, uh, or this race track, should I say, 12, 13 or so years ago. Not in these current cars, but you already have one over on me. Neither of us, though, have raced the banking, which is just awesome. If you've never been to Monza, you have to make the pilgrimage to the old school high banking. And wonder how they ever actually went round there at high speed. So I'm not that old, Johnny. <laughs> I didn't race the banking. All those black and white footage. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, say, uh, yeah, GT3 cars in the, in the day back here. Um, what was then current GT3 cars look very different. I commented a little bit earlier that uh, they look very, very different now. They seem to do that's evolution, but uh, some Group C stuff and, and GT1 cars before that and Group C. So, yeah, uh, what a place to drive some, some amazing cars. And it, um, it, it is an extraordinary circuit still. It might not be quite the way it was. We look at Spa, and that's been, some people say it's been you know, emasculated, it's been cut in half and whatever. It's still a fantastic circuit. And that stopped, what, 40 odd years ago, 1979, the new circuit. Yes. Um, when it stopped. And. Um, it's still an extraordinary circuit. And I don't think the, the modern cars, the last 20, 30 years, quite gone banking type stuff anyway. I don't think these circuits really suit them anymore. Great layout here, though. Really fast. Um, I was talking to a couple of drivers earlier on today, and they were just saying about some of the different categories that uh, this is where, particularly um, LMP3, LMP2, the speed differential becomes really noticeable because it's such a, such a far circuit it's such a high percentage of the lap was a open throttle full throttle yep. uh, and can be up to 10 seconds difference between those LMP3 and um, LMP2 cars in time difference so it normally wouldn't be and even 40 odd k's we're talking 280 to 320k speed difference uh, on, on the fastest parts of the circuit which they said nowhere else does it expose it quite as much but that really gives you an idea of what it's like said, the, the technical bits the LMP2 cars they're great they're not much different to the LMP3 cars, actually, but it's a slight. But it's where they can really get to stretch their legs, you know, their two category, and suddenly go those those higher terminal speeds. I make this the eighth visit of this championship in its various iterations to Monza. It has become a staple part of the season since 2017. Prior to that, 16 and 15, we were going to Imola, which is another fabulous. Grand Prix circuit and Imola of course on the Formula 1 calendar for this year in this bizarre season where lots of the kind of lesser known European circuits are being visited by Formula 1 Mugello Portimao as in Portimao, you know, yeah, we, I, I think of that now because I'm, I'm, I'm an old duffer as you quite rightly point out or frequently point out um, but I think that was the Algarve Classic and we said uh, our colleague Joe Bradley and I said a few, year, few years ago he said if ever there was a place to take Grand Prix cars, Formula 1 cars, that would be great, contemporary Formula 1 cars. And of course he then said, it'll never happen. Well, in this strange world, <laughs> it has happened. It's happening very shortly, uh, as well as the, the final round of this series is going to be there as well, as you see, in a month's time. So it's going to be, um, Paul Tomei, it's going to be fantastic. No, it, that always does provide fabulous racing and often a, a championship showdown to be coupled with it as well. I mentioned the history of Monza and the European Le Mans series, but going back to Le Mans series days, when LMP1s were included as well, track back 13 years to 2007, and a certain Nicola Manassian took victory in a Peugeot at 908 with Marc Genet to win that race, which was um, a 1,000-kilometre race in those days. They did it in just under five hours, in fact. And Nicola Manassian threatened to retire 
but not this weekend because he's again ticking off at least one ELMS race for a season. He did one last year, which was the night race at Barcelona. He's going to be part of the EDEC Sports team in LMP2 for this uh, year's race at, at Monza. But we will deal with LMP2 in a moment or two. Don't get confused by the caption at the top of the screen, which said red flag, confusing it. The same time as green flag. It is green, green everywhere, and this is a session which is only 10 minutes for seven GTE cars. And the one thing that I was drawn to immediately was as the cars thundered their way out of the pit lane, they had to do an awful lot of track sweeping because, again, the leaf fall had spread across the track and you get the feeling that grip levels will take their time to, to finally come to the drivers. All of these cars, unlike at Le Mans, are on Goodyear tyres. It's a Goodyear control tyre within GTE, and there's no tyre limitation other than your back balance. You can throw as many tyres as you want at these cars come the race tomorrow. And I'm sure there'll be a chance, by the way, of maybe using a couple of sets of Goodyears in this particular session as well. So black Porsche number 77, which looks really cool uh, with the Goodyear tyres, is out on track with Alessio Picariello, leading, joint leading the championship. Plenty of curb on the run into Ascari there, which I thought would have properly unsettled the car. We're not actually doing a time yet. This is only the outlap. And therefore the cars behind Picariello's Porsche using the opportunity to yeah, build some tyre temperature. Yeah, just something you've got to be slightly careful of there with those um, using the curves. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong for that uh, 77 car there, they would say, um, I said Picariello in that car, but... Um, just you need to get not only get the heat into the tyres you need to get the side walls up to a temperature if they don't and you go over curves too much too hard you can damage the side walls which obviously can lead to a tyre failure later on when it does warm up so it's a it's very much a thing to to keep off curves particularly on your particularly your outlap and it's a little bit surprised you say to see that happening straight away there but we'll see I think it's a problem. it is only a 10 minute session though so probably going to negate itself in that we're only 10 minutes out on track so as I said, it's very tight at the top of the championship coming to this penultimate round in GTE because you have Picariello with his teammates uh, in the 77 car, so Christian Reed and Michele Beretta on 56 points, but also on 56 points, the guys in the 74 Ferrari, who are David Perel and Michel Bronozewski. So basically five drivers, two teams, absolutely tied together. And at the moment, if you had to split them on... Um, kind of count back well they've had exactly the same results as well so you'd have to go back to the Porsche winning the first race getting the 25 points in the bank earlier than the Ferrari but thankfully there are two more rounds yet to hopefully divide them but it has been seen before where teams finish on exactly the same points and you then have to go back through the five or six races however we've had and work out who's won more races than the other team and it can go down to second places numbers of third and fourth places too and I hate that, going into the final round, because we've got to work out all the various different uh, permutations. Don't ha quite have to do that at this stage. Three cars virtually nose-to-tail out of Ascari. There's so much leaf debris in the grill of the Ferrari. I was just watching that. We were talking about that in the, in the previous session. We were saying about Le Mans, this, this race traditionally May, or happens to fall in May quite often. Now, it's, now we're in October, well into a week into October. Really autumnal. And we commented a couple of times the cars running wide not kicking up gravel and stuff, not too far wide, not to cause any kind of penalty or discipline, but when they ran a little bit further off the track than perhaps you'd expect normally, kicking up lots of debris, which was leaves, which was very rare, and you've just spotted it there, Johnny. The, the air intake to the, the Ferrari in particular there, absolutely full already, and there's no way that car would have been sent out like that, obviously. So and it is only a 10-minute session here, but that does point to me saying for the race cooling issues potentially totally. now the cars aren't going to be so they're not going to be so hot normally as it's cooler part of the year so but it's just interesting that particularly say so that that the, the second place the the castle ferrari isn't it uh, yes it's out 74 there. Yeah. 74 car uh, absolutely littered with leaves in its air intake and the porsche not doing not very much better and he's got a fairly clear track also on the the newish ferrari which is turbocharged all the air is gulped into the turbo just in front of the rear wheel arches that whole kind of grill assembly was added to the 488 when it became a twin turbocharged V8 rather than the high-pitched screaming 458 which was naturally aspirated uh, so that's not affected thankfully um, pole position so far we have had one for the 74 Kessel Racing car we have had a pole position for the 93 Proton Competition Machine at uh, Spa that was set by Richard Leitz and also a pole for the 77 Porsche 
uh, which is the black car we're talking about of Alessio Piccariello. There is a point on offer for pole position. And what I haven't done is told you about the success ballast for this particular round. Uh, five cars carry weight because of their previous race results and also where they sit in the championship. Fairly easy this weekend because there are three cars carrying 25 kilos because of a combination of uh, their successes. But car 55 from AF Corsa, that's the Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin, Aaron Scott car, is on 25 kilos, as is the 74 Kessel Racing Ferrari and the Porsche number 77 for Proton Competition. So those three cars, 25 kilos, and then there's five kilos for the 83 Iron Dames Iron Lynx car of Manuela Gosner, Michelle Gatting and Rahel Fry. And there's five kilos for the 93 Proton Competition Porsche. That's the green car of, uh, Ameri of uh, Irish and German uh, film star Michael Fassbender, of course, and uh, following a great line of Hollywood superstar to take to the European Le Mans series following in the footsteps of Patrick Dempsey. And great to have Michael Fassbender as part of the championship this year. There are tyre changes taking place. Let me give you the initial times. 146.277 from Andrea Piccini in the number 60 car. Richard Leitz, the Proton competition, is second fastest, but 0.177 of a second. In fact, it's narrower than that now as Leitz goes across the line. 74 thousandths of a second. So what's happened there? Lap three for both cars 60 and 83 have been deleted for track limits so that will change the gap back to 74 thousandths of a second Piccini to Ricard Leitz Alessio Picariello for car 77 has done a 146.748 JMW Motorsports uh, car of Gunnar Jeanette's done a 147.306 and Matt Griffin having just changed tyres for 55 back out onto track and he has set a time it's a 147.3 so reasonable effort there what we haven't yet got is a legal time for car 74, which has already come into pits lane as well for a new set of tyres. So what I suggested at the start of the session is actually coming true already. Brand new Goodyear tyres being bolted on. You would think that the conditions out there are pretty good. Te track temperature is warm, but not overly so. But I do worry about grip levels, particularly in that very narrow section that heads underneath the banking, the run... Uh, towards, well, it's Curvedale Seraglio, to give it its proper name. The run out of the second Lesmo, turn seven, and into Variante Ascari, turns eight, nine, and ten. Andrea Pacini going even quicker with a 146.113. So Pacini for Iron Links, and the number 60 car that he shares with Claudio Schiavone and, and uh, et al. in car number 60, going very strongly indeed. Sergio Pianazzola is part of that lineup for this weekend. So Pacini, Pianazzola and Schiavone, a slightly adjusted driver lineup for the yellow and black Iron Links car. As the red and white of Kessel Racing this time with David Perel at the wheel. New tyres on this car and he is about to start a quick lap because that was his out lap. So it's all about this one. And he's actually only going to be one lap for David Perel because there's only a minute and 30 seconds left on the clock. So because of the late decision to change tyres, maybe he flat-spotted them, I don't know. A bit of a lock-up, that will have properly have scrubbed the tyres and turned them into 50 pence pieces. So better to change the tyres as quickly as you can, get back out again. But what that does do is really compromise you in terms of time. And lap four for cars 83 and 74 are being deleted as well. And that is the previous lap for David Perel. Hopefully... It wasn't at turn 11, no it wasn't, it was at turn 10. I say that because if, if drivers are found to be breaching the track limits on the exit of Parabolica, then they're going to have their next lap deleted as well. That was a decision made early on in the week by Eduardo Freitas, our Portuguese race director and the rest of his team. Because the argument is, if you push too hard through Parabolica, run out wide, you're going to be much, much quicker than a car that has abided by the track limits coming out of Turn 11. So it's going to be a double jet or double bubble, effectively. Two laps deleted. Thankfully for 74, though, that was a track, track limits breach, not at Parabolica, instead of Ascari. So he can rescue the situation, but Perel was wide again there. And I don't think the stewards are going to like that either, Peter Snowden. 
Well, no, just looking at his entry into there, that castle, he was slingshotting through it. He was drifting it like an historic car on crossflies through the Ascari there, which is, which is great to watch and very entertaining. But, you know, in this category, you don't want to be doing that. And the team are like, no, 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 that's just not right. You don't want to do that on these types of cars. So I was quite surprised, and as you said, maybe lost a little bit in the right-hand part of Ascari there because he slung it in onto the left, caught it, and then it's almost like he got on the gas and got it going nice and almost a bit of a drift through the right-hand part. But then on the left, on the final bit, onto that run up to Parabolica, it ran so wide. It was uh, just like, I'm sure... I'd be very surprised if that didn't come to somebody else's attention other than two humble commentators sitting in a booth watching it. It's been deleted, I'm afraid. Yeah. Lap five has gone, and uh, that car, that to lap for David Perel would have put him fifth. At least it wasn't front row. Would have put him sixth, I beg your pardon. But a 147.134 would have been the only lap that David Perel registered. He doesn't have anything now in the session, and therefore will have to start stone last for tomorrow's race, which is an 11 a.m. local time start, incidentally. Andrea Pacini hanging on to pole position for the time being, unless Alessio Picariello in the black Porsche can do any better, and he can't. It does improve, but he can't find that half a second that he needed to leapfrog both Ricard Leitz and Andrea Pacini. So who are we left with? Rahel Fry could be on for something a bit special. She's set an absolute best sector one time for car number 83. So the car for the Iron Dames heading out of the Parabolica now. Neat and tidy on the exit, straddling the white line. That's absolutely fine. And Fry finds a, a, a grid position spot on the grid. So from uh, sixth place to fifth. And the applause begins down there at uh, Iron Links. Manuela Gosner and Michelle Gatting, Rahel Fry's teammates. And she jumps ahead of Gunnar Jeanette, therefore, on the grid. But Andrea Pacini did that work fairly early on and the best time was set on lap four of his six lap run it was a 146.113 for car number 60 and congratulations to Puccini who's always mighty when it comes to GTE racing along with his brother Giacomo Puccini as well and so tracking back through the previous results in GTE car number 60 has not had a pole position before so that is a first for the season and therefore the reaction is very understandable indeed. And hugely experienced <clears throat> Andrew Puccini as well, and, and, lev- and longevity of career as well, quite, quite I mean, it's at it. I can say I've shared the racetrack with him in GT1 years ago, and I, I thought I'd retired and all that. He's, he's still going, but he yes. has, he's done Formula 3000 in his day. A very, very experienced. And I've, I've often thought, uh, not necessarily, certainly not underrated driver, but certainly an overlooked driver. <laughs> It's just yeah, not on the say. radar. Other people that have got equal records and experience and results and seem to get the, the adulation. And Andrew Puccini, I've often thought, just say overlooked it is, is the word. He's yeah. extremely experienced. and a, He's not just a safe pair of hands. That's a, that's a no-brainer. But he's a, a very, very quick pair of hands still. And he's been at it well over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, started off in the Formula Alpha Boxer uh, Championship in the mid-90s, amazingly enough. And uh, Aston Martin GT1s, as you say, at Le Mans. Yeah, big, big name. And he gets a pole position for the GTE category. And that car wasn't carrying any weight, was it? So uh, that may have helped him along as well. No, car 60 at, uh, at base weight. So congratulations to him. A 146.113, three tenths of a second quicker than Ricard Leitz in the Porsche, which did have a little bit of weight on board. Five kilos for the 93 Porsche. The heavier of the two Porsches, though, by far the number 77 with the extra 25 kilos because they jointly uh, lead the championship, of course. Uh, so Picariello um, with a, a bit of an effort to muscle a Porsche around Monza. Porsche have had some very good results in recent years here at Monza, rather uh, leaving Ferrari red-faced at times. So are we in store for another fascinating battle between the age-old rivals, Porsche versus Ferrari? And Picariello, Griffin, Fry, Gunnar Jeanette and David Perel completes the lineup. Let's go to Hayley Edmonds, who can now grab a word with Andrea Pacini. I'm... <clears throat> I'm joined here by uh, Andrea Pacini. He was just obviously looking at his um, at Rahel's fantastic um, set uh, lap time as well. Great, um, great set time. Great time. Sorry, great lap time you set there. Uh, first pole of the season coming into Monza. Yeah, it's uh, it's only it was about time because we were there since the beginning, always close to the pole in Porica. We miss it by nothing. The team always. Uh, 
gave me a very good car, but it never really got together. And uh, even after what we saw at Le Mans, where we were leading by two minutes and we couldn't really bring it home, this pole position for uh, the first pole position for Iron Links, it is uh, it is really important. I thank all the guys because we've done a we're pushing like hell the old season, and uh, this is uh, it's not a victory, but uh, it's a pole position in Monza, our home track. So it is uh, really important. Thank you very much. And as Andrea makes a point, a first ever pole position for Iron Links. They are a new team for, uh, yeah, for a new team for 2020, of course. And uh, the famous or the kind of instantly recognisable logo of the links on the side of the race trucks, and it also appears on the cars as well. Cool livery for both of the machines from that team. The yellow and black for number 60 and the pink and black for the Iron Dames number 83 car. And Rahel Fry doing very, very well in that session as well to get ahead of Gunnar Jeanette in the dying stages. So that's a little bit of a landmark for the team. As Andrea said, they got really close to a pole position earlier on in the year. But finally, that box can be ticked. So the grid set for GTE, we now have a, a short period of downtime, around about five minutes, before another short, sharp, not a moment to lose, 10-minute session for the LMP3s. And this is very similar often, Peter, to the Michelin Le Mans Cup LMP3 qualifying, whereby you generally get the fastest time for the last few cars that cross the line. Absolutely. And you, you did say, Johnny, that there was every opportunity that, you know, it's only 10 minutes... There's a lot to do. You've got to get it scheduled. You've got to get it organised. You've got to be on point and get out there. And it can take the slightest thing. I mean, we saw a handful of cars out earlier. We said there was still fighting for track space. There's still there's track limits. There's all sorts of permutations. And it's it's actually a real pressure cooker to get out there and get a time in in those 10 minutes because the time is against you, but so are the tyres because they're not really going to get up to... They're going to improve. But we're talking about there's a tyre that's designed to last 50 minutes, easy in a session. Where is it at 10 minutes old? Well, 10 minutes old, the session's over. So where is it really at 5 minutes old? Because you're halfway through that session. Has it got enough heat into it? They will know. We, we don't know the ins and outs of that exactly, about tyre compounds and temperatures and whatever. And we'll, maybe we'll go and chat to somebody like Gary Robertshaw later on and find out what those sort of things are. If they'll tell us, of course. They might just tell us something for, for a commentary, as he did at the Mon for you. Uh, spent so much time doing it. But it, it is exactly that. And it, we, we've said this, didn't we, through the Nürburgring 24-hour, this... Just looking in from the outside, it all seems so simple, but there are so many layers and permutations that these drivers, teams, uh, strategists, everything have got to think about. And ten, 10 minutes is not long to get these things out. They say by the time you've done an outlap and then start a flying lap, then you complete your first lap. You've only got to make one slight mistake. And you say, heaven forbid, you make that mistake on the exit of Parabolica. And as you, as you pointed out, Johnny, not only is that lap deleted, but that next lap is. And all of a sudden, if you do that seven minutes in, yeah. you may as well park it. That session's no, totally. over. Yeah, and that's the fear. No pressure is, then. <laughs> that's the fear, because if you get a time that you think is amazing, and then it's deleted, and literally you've got one more go at it, and then you really do see who are the hot shoes in this, their ability to deal with the pressure and almost kind of park that and say, right, just need to fully relax and set my only time of the session which has to be the best effectively uh, brief glimpse a moment or two ago of the BHK Motorsport Ligier which are the British flagged team although actually very Italian if you get into the garage and speak to some of the guys there so you could say this is a sort of pseudo home race for BHK Motorsport as well Lorenzo Velia, who has raced for them in the past Tom Cloet but Philippe Palo is a new name on me he has come out of Radical speaking of which Radical Euromasters and the last time I've got him racing, actually 2017, he's the bronze. And Philippe Palo, brand new name in at BHK. There are one or two other changes, including uh, great to have 17-year-old Gustas Grinbergers back, the Lithuanian, to join James Dason and Malta Jakobsen in RLR M Sports car number 15. And I'm not sure at this stage who's going to be doing the qualifying because until the pit lane opens and those cars head through the timing loop at the end of the pit lane, that is when we will know for sure who is at the wheel of each of the cars. So we will just reserve comment regarding pilots for the time being. Real team racing, uh, a strong season for them. They were winners last time out at the Paul Ricard 240, which was the night race. Uh, if you joined us, you may remember. Memorable for all sorts of reasons, including pretty poor weather. It was raining at times. It was obviously going into darkness. So you had that transition part of the race from sunset into full darkness. And for those that are not quite as experienced uh, behind the wheels of a prototype car, maybe never raced at Le Mans, uh, that 
will, I'm sure, live long in the memory and be very, very useful experience indeed. You raced into the night before in the past? Yes, that's what happens in 24-hour races. Yes, I yeah, suppose there it is, but were yes. you given those stints? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, sort of around Spa or somewhere, where it, uh, it goes completely black. Le Mans is quite illuminated, and people will tell you that. It's, it's actually fairly lit, and it's, uh, it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a luxury having all that light uh, at Le Mans. Places like Spa, you go, out, you go to a Rouge, go, on to, go up to a Radion, onto the Camel Strait, and it's like someone's just turned it off, the lights off, and you, that bit's illuminated past the bits, and all of a sudden you're into the woods again, into the Ardennes, and off you go. Yeah, Ricard's a bit like that as well. On the top of the plateau there in the south of France, there was a bit of lightning from the pit lane, and after that you were on your own. But it provided a brilliant spectacle. That race originally built to be at Barcelona, but we couldn't travel to, to Spain because of fears about the COVID-19 spread. So instead, it was hastily rearranged for a second visit, in fact, to Le Castellet. And we had a 2.40-minute race as opposed to the four hours. Of course, they're exactly the same. Ten minutes on the clock. It's already almost nine, though. And big question is, where were you in the queue? Because if you were out front, like the number two car, then Wayne Boyd may be grinning from ear to ear because he has open road in front of him. And Wayne Boyd, somewhat of a qualification specialist so far this year. Uh, not many drivers have been able to touch the performance of the Ulsterman, apart from last time out, which I have to say caught me out caught Bruce Jones out who was commentating on that session at the time as well because we kind of called it for I think RLR and then real team came across the line maybe a minute later and snatched pole position and uh, say it quietly it took Bruce and I a good couple of minutes to actually note that that had happened but they it counts and it was there and it put, it, uh, put them on a pedestal to then take a race win four hours later on the Saturday night so real team racing maybe working their way to challenge for second place but because of United Autosports two wins so far that sadly they had a non-finish in the third race of the year but they are sitting on 52 points courtesy of maximum points for the first two rounds and Wayne Boyd another guy you really could argue his his career lost its way a little bit back in the Formula 4 days when he was British Formula 4 champion and did so well at the festival at Brands as well then I think struggled for budget but in the last few years it's properly back on track now and he is a huge name at United Autosports particularly in the LMP3 category so it'll be a bold person to, to bet against another pole position for Wayne Boyd and the beauty of course in the, the pit lane allocation for that team you were pointing this out to me earlier on their pit uh, garages are at uh, pit out pretty much so they've got the perfect opportunity to beat everybody to the line when the cars are released. Long, longest run into the pit, shortest run out. It's an all British lineup in that car with, uh, say, Tom Gamble, the 18, 19, 19 now, I think, Tom. Uh, yeah. He's, only, he's, he's on the cast, isn't he? He's certainly not 20, but he's no, still a teenager, is my 18. point. 18, so I thought he was. And uh, very experienced, Robert Weldon as well in that car. So, all British lineup in that car. Of course, we've got the other United Autosports car out there, uh, the number three car, and that's. Uh, with Duncan Tappy at the wheelman, Andrew Bentley in that car, and of course James Maguire from the States uh, going to be in that car. But Jun Duncan Tappy it is, it's out in the car at the moment. They're the first two cars out littered on the, on the track out of the pit lane, but I think it's, uh, no, it's a different car behind there. So we've got. Actually, they're rolling, rolling times, so getting towards the end of that into Parabolica now for Wayne Boyd. So what's the first representative time? that Wayne Board is going to set. You've mentioned already, Johnny, that he's a bit of a qualifying specialist, get the first one up on the on the clock. But of course, as we said that earlier, about that 10-minute slot this is, he's crossed the line to get his first recorded time now, and there's nearly only six and a half, Sunday, six and a half minutes left. So it's nearly yep. half time already. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and that's the pressure. Yeah, and bear in mind, a good lap time at the moment, at one minute 44. So you're thinking the better part of two minutes, and therefore three, maybe four laps, depending on where you are from this point on. That's Laurence Hoare, by the way, in the orange and black DKR engineering car. Exactly the same paint scheme that they run in the Michelin Le Mans Cup as well, where Jean Gloria was qualifying a different car. Uh, but it's, again, a, a Duquesne of the newer variety. And Real Team Racing, winners last time at Paul Ricard, exiting Ascari, the very high-speed chicane, which is turns 8, 9 and 10 left right and left again be cautious on the exit don't run out wide because there's an observer there and cameras trained as well so if all four wheels drop the wrong side of the white line your lap's almost instantaneously deleted through Parabolica 
That car squirms. It's right on the edge of adhesion for David Drew, sharing the car uh, number eight with Esteban Garcia. And they're one of just two teams going with the two-driver lineup. Generally, it's three, but Nielsen Racing favour two pilots in the form of Colin Noble and Tony Wells. And then you've got Garcia and David Drew. Garcia taking his first win in motorsport ever. Full stop, last time out, and he was delighted with it. Well, Malta Jacobson taking the divisional pole position in the RL M Sport Ligier at the top of time, taking that into the first one, sub 144. I'll just about to say that the it was just over a second covering the first six, seven cars, all in 144s. But uh, Jacobson has just popped that into a 143.8. And as I say that, gentlemen, you've mentioned already Wayne Boyd just pops in a 143.5. So you can have it for a moment, but actually, I'll take it back. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think when he said a qualifying exponent, he's, uh, he obviously heard you, Johnny. He said, I need to get this up. He's rising to that mantle, 44 thousandths of a second, so that is not a huge cushion to be resting on, certainly not, and Laurence Hoare will be able to offer a reply, I am uh, in no doubt about that, but Malta Jakobsen, yeah, impressive for RLR M Sport, so the Dane going strongly, he's got another teammate alongside him this weekend in the form of Gustas Grinbergers, who has run with... Um, with teams elsewhere in LMP3 previously, Team Oregon uh, last year, and now moves on to a different outfit for 2020. Duncan Tappy back up to third position now, and Colin Noble in fourth in the number seven car, so Colin, the man from Edinburgh, uh, is back into the top four. There's no restriction, by the way, in this session as to which driver you can use in qualifying. You pick your fastest, strap him in, stand back and watch the fireworks, and... Noble will uh, be pretty happy with that. Now, something else has changed close to the sharp end. Uh, notice Lawrence Hoare has dropped a load of positions, so must have had a time to lose him. Correct. T-set, uh, turn seven once again. The second Lesmo had that time deleted. That's uh, three and four. So Lawrence Hoare has had it uh, deleted. And uh, Duncan Tappy's had his drop down as well, so he's back down to P4. So that was the third lap for both car four, DKR, and car ten the Garrett Grist-driven Nielsen racing machine. Boyd back to the top, ahead of Malta Jakobsen with just under three minutes to go, and Thor over the line as well, and he goes third. So it's Wayne Boyd for United, fastest, from Malta Jakobsen for RLRM Sport second, Lawrence Hoare third for DKR, David Drew, real team, fourth, car number eight, and then Tappy and Grist for United and Nielsen, respectively. They are fifth and sixth. Lawrence Hall, though, GKR Engineering, uh, had his lap deleted for track limits at Turn 10, which is Exeter Viscari. Uh, again, yes. So, some being pinged for Exeter 7, the second Lesmo, some out of Ascari. I've got, uh, a, I've got a theory here. Go on. That warning of uh, track limits at Parabolica loses your existing lap and the next one. They're all being so careful on that, they're falling off at Lesmo 2 and Ascari at the moment. They're so concentrated on that one. It's almost like, don't do it, don't do it, and then do something completely different. Yeah. Well, they're thinking, well, we can't find any extra time through Parabolica. We must have to try and do it through Lesmo or on the exit of Ascari and hope nobody sees it. But it, it is knife-edge stuff. I mean, sometimes you can adjust your line. Sometimes you're going so quickly, you're kind of just a passenger and the car ends up in that position because you've committed to your trajectory way back. And there's really not a lot you can do about adjudging, uh, adjusting it mid-phase. Yeah, and uh, David, David Drew as well in the, um, the real-time racing car had that... Uh, his lap deleted as well for same thing track limits it's a, quite, a, quite a thing in this session actually more, more than I've seen of most actually yes yeah well uh, it is stamped home you know very clearly in the driver briefing which are done virtually right now Eduardo Freitas doing a 15 minute or so video that the teams can all access and yeah that solid white line on the left and the right of the circuit is there to contain the cars and you cannot you're not permitted to set a fast time by leaping over those track limits that are deliberately in place. Vincent Capillaire for Graf uh, in the number nine car is currently in eighth place. And he didn't improve last time around, but his best lap was lap three of four with a 144.160. Wayne Boyd still quickest with almost 45 seconds still to go. It's a 143.0, and that's a much better base now to have as a lead, 0.3 of a second rather than the 44,000s that he had a little while ago. Ran a touch wide there coming out of 
Della Rogers chicane, the second of them on the lap. So just dropping the left side wheels of his Ligier into the gravel trap, that will not have helped his exit and it won't have helped grip either on that left side. No, not, not a problem for a penalty, but just not, not, not good on the, on the top watch. No, well, those track limits are sort of self-policing, aren't they? Uh, what we don't have is gravel traps on the exit of Ascari. And, uh, well, there is a gravel trap on the exit of Lesmo, but you have to go very wide to find that. Just a handful of seconds left on the clock. Now, who's managed to sneak onto another lap? 15, the RLR M Sport entry of Malta Jakobsen. That could be crucial. And the eight car of David Drew will get one more go at it as well. Slower car for the number two to nip by, which is Vincent Capillaire, I think, for Graf. Or it could be Eric Trier, actually in the number five car. Anyway, that's not caused a delay for the number nine, which is coming through Parabolica now, for the number two rather, and it will head across the line. So Wayne Boy goes quicker again. No, he doesn't. It isn't an improvement. But what about Malta Jakobsen? Just set the best time of anybody through sector one, and this lap will count. Laurence Herr is home. The chequered flag's been shown to the German, and it's going to be no better than third position for DKR Engineering. Well, you did predict it. You said that Wayne Boyd was, was the man. I know it's not quite done yet, but it's uh, it's looking there or thereabouts at the moment. Well, check flag is presented. The one thing that goes in Wayne's favour is it's three tenths of a second that he has an, as an advantage. And although Jakobsen was quicker through the first sector, he's lost about two tenths running up to Ascari. So unless he can really pull something out of the bag very late on in the session, RLR is still looking at a good result, effectively a front row start for LMP3. The driver, though, fully focused on that first bit of Parabolica, almost backing the car in. He was fully committed there. A single steering input, most impressive from Malta Jakobsen, and now straight as a die to the line. It's a better time, but he's not going to get pole position. 0.261 of a second shy of Wayne Boyd, so the Ulsterman will get his third pole position of the season for the championship leading car, United Autosports. Quite a display. And we've got, how long is the race tomorrow? Four hours? Yeah. We're, we're struggling to cope on this in ten minutes of time. <laughs> I know, and uh, it promises to be almost as exciting as that for every ten-minute chunk throughout the course of the race. Remember, they're going to be doing... Well, they have to make two stops timed at a minute and... 45 seconds, so that's a minimum pit stop time, and then the other stops are completely free, and there's a big question mark for the LMP3 cars as to whether you can do it on three, or will you need a splash and a fourth stop, therefore this is very high fuel burn around this place, because it's so high speed, and what it's going to need is a few safety car interventions, maybe a full course yellow to slow the pace of the race maybe in the middle, and perhaps you could get away with just three stops, but then there is a danger. The last few laps could be very twitchy indeed. Is there enough fuel left in the tank? That's, what, that's one for tomorrow, isn't it? But it's definitely one yeah. to go to. So what, what you're saying really this, Johnny, is that it's not, not a four-hour race tomorrow. It's 24 10-minute qualifying sessions back-to-back. It to could back. turn into that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean... That's, that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> gone are the days where you would uh, drive, you know, within yourself to conserve the car. You don't need to do that with these things anymore. We've seen that seismic change, haven't we, at the moment. It's, it's, now, it's now a series of sprint races, all intents and purposes. You talk to anybody that does that, whereas it used to be very much that fuel saving looking after machinery but that, that's, that's materials and technology everything's come on so much now things are so much more reliable now so much more bulletproof going back you know, so 20, 30 even, even longer but uh, even 20 years ago things weren't quite as reliable perhaps a bit longer than that 20 years ago is only 2000 it's a really scary thought <laughs> yes it was yes. and uh, the start of the Audi domination at the 24 hours of Le Mans and they were kind of reliability kings too but also getting the car turned around so quickly in the pits. We were making the, the comment earlier on, the less time you spend in the pits, the better the chance you've got of scoring a good result in um, one of the shorter, the shorter long-distance races, I'm going to say, because you know, this, this season of World Endurance Championship, which started in the summer of 2019 and headed on into this year, of course, we had a couple of four-hour races as part of that championship this year as well, four hours and six hours and eight hours too. Confirmation of the pole position, a third of the season for Wayne Boyd, a 143.017 for his number two United Autosports car. RLRM Sport came pretty close, 0.261 of a second with Malta Jakobsen. He'll start second ahead of DKR Engineering and Laurence Hoare. David Drew for Real Team. 
Duncan Tappy for the other United Autosports car, number three. Then Garrett Grist for Nielsen Racing. In fact, both Nielsen cars again together on the grid as they were in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Sixth and seventh for Grist and for his teammate Colin Noble. Dino Linardi in the number 13 car will be eighth, ahead of Vincent Capillaire for Graf and Nico Cari for Euro International. Lorenzo Velia and Eric Trubier will complete the grid. And now we will turn our attention in a moment to LMP2s, the big prototypes. Just before we do that, just to indicate or illustrate the competitiveness of that field, you just there, 12 cars out on track there, the first 10 covered by 1.2 seconds. Yeah. And the first eight by a second, first nine actually. So it's, it's that close. So it's uh, hugely competitive. And uh, so we've got 24 of those back to back tomorrow. It's called, it's called a four-hour race, but that's how I'm going to look at it from now on. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, 24 is a good well, number. Exactly. I, I, oh, you took it from me. Sorry. That's what I was trying to do there, you see. <laughs> so Wayne Boyd, uh, the winner of pole, but we can get a word with actually his teammate. So we were talking about him earlier on, the 18-year-old Tom Gamble, now chatting with Hayley. Tom, your third pole position of the season and an extra point for the championship. Great going into Monza here at the LMS. Yeah, uh, obviously a fantastic job once again by Wayne. Um, you know, it's great to be back on pole for this race. Obviously, last one, we had a bit of a, a tough quali and, uh, yeah, it's just the perfect way to go into tomorrow's race, obviously, at the front of the pack. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, United have given us another great car once again, so full credit to them and... Uh, yeah, hopefully tomorrow we can, uh, you know, get a result from this because, you know, that's the one that counts. But, yeah, like you say, that extra point could uh, could help us a lot. So, fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, many a championship has been won or lost by a single point and sometimes we've had to even go back through previous results because teams have finished completely level. We had that scenario coming into this race meeting for GTE and two more races to go so a potential prior to this weekend of another 52 points on the table with 25 for a race win tomorrow uh, pole position at Portimao carries a further point and then a win there another 25 so certainly not done and dusted unless you look at LMP2 and this is the category that really could be sealed tomorrow because of Phil Hansen and Philippe Albuquerque's dominance in the championship because well not only uh, in this particular uh, version of ACO rules racing but they are also now winners at the 24 hours of Le Mans and they are also LMP2 champion team champions and driver champions in the World Endurance Championship that was all sealed last month at Circuit de la Sarthe they're on a, the crest of a wave Phil Hansen and Philippe Albuquerque they dropped back to their two driver lineup for ELMS duties they were joined at uh, Le Mans, of course, by Scott Paul de Resta, and he will be back with the team for the final World Endurance Championship event in the middle of November, which is at uh, Sakir Circuit in Bahrain. But Hansen and uh, Albuquerque do very nicely, thank you very much, uh, as a twosome. Coming here on a hat-trick, effectively. If they win at Monza, it will be three wins on the bounce. And United have done all the winning this year because the opening round of the season, the first visit to Le Castellet in the south of France, it was a win for Will Owen, for Alex Brundle and for Jop van Outert. So either the 32 or the 22 have been top of the pile. Will that change this weekend? There's another 10 minutes on the clock and we have 15 cars. So this is by far the busiest session about to head out onto track. And the nice thing about this category is that we have a, a little bit of a mixture of chassis. So there's one Ligier represented by Polish team Inter Europol competition, Kuba Szymachowski, who is the pole likely to do the qualifying. We'll wait and see his name against the car currently. But if not, uh, we'll obviously tell him Matthew Izakian, actually, Matthew Vosizakian as uh, his teammate to qualify the cars. But we'll wait for them to launch their way out onto the Monza asphalt to fully confirm. We've also got, as a kind of separate chassis, the Aurus 01 from G-Drive Racing, the Russian-entered team. Roman Rusinov, uh, the key member there in the team, which is actually run by TDS, French Outfit TDS, number 26. And then all the other cars are Orica 07s, and that's simply because the Orica seems to be the best car. And no matter which track we go to, it is very, very quick indeed. Sadly, we don't have an Italian Delara on the grid this weekend. We have had that from Cetelar Racing previously in the European Le Mans Series this season with Giorgio Sonagiotto and uh, 
Andrea Beliki, people like that. But uh, yeah, no Dilara on the grid, which is a real shame because it would have been their home race, of course. But nevertheless, it's a perfectly formed field and the LMP2s are about to head out onto circuit. We also have very much a tyre battle and just a couple more races actually to savour in that respect because it will become a, a single tyre uh, category from next year, but still got the Michelins and the Goodyears fighting tooth and nail in the LMP2 category, the top class, the fastest class in the European Le Mans series. A peep into one of the, uh, the only craft car, I beg your pardon, and that may well have been James Allen, as I say, confirmed, well, right now actually, as the green light appears at the end of the pit lane. So, it is Nicolas Lapierre in the first of those cars for Cool Racing. Philippe Albuquerque will be qualifying for United Autosports. And who else have we got as the cars creep forward? For G-Drive Racing, it is Nick De Vries, the young Dutch superstar. Will Owen out for qualifying duties in the 32 United Autosports car. Uh, Konstantin Tereschenko for Duquesne. Kubisch Michowski confirmed for Inter-Europol competition. We have Sergio Campana for BHK Motorsport. Tatiana Calderon for Richard Meal Racing. That car had a very good first free practice session of the weekend where they finished fifth, I think I'm right in saying. Did the girls of Richard Meal Racing, Tatiana Calderon, Sophia Flersch and Beitzke Visso, which was also the lineup, by the way, for Richard Meal at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Anders Fjordback will drive the high-class racing car. We have... Um, Nicola Jama for Panis Racing and they come to Monza after a wonderful result at Le Mans where they managed to finish third of course after dramas for G-Drive Racing and John Eric Verne in those final hours so. Significantly different cars these DLMP2 cars quite a bit lighter, so 20 kilos lighter 600 brake, much smaller fuel tank in these cars, only 75 litres which is interesting when we were talking about fuel earlier on the LMP3 cars yeah. about 100 litres that fuel tank. Significant difference also in brakes. Steel brakes now got to carbon brakes on an LMP2 car, but we steel on an LMP3 car. Uh, and also hugely different diameter uh, in, in wheel diameter as well. Overall um, diameter going from an 18-inch maximum to a 28-inch maximum in LMP2. So they're really, they look similar. When you see them, we had the pleasure earlier on of looking at the United Garage standing in front of the pit lane, didn't we, with a, uh, a nice a, a guy from one of their drivers, Duncan Tappy, both kind of guiding us around there. We've got the the four cars lined up, and initial glances, because they're all beautifully team-coloured and liveried, whatever you think, oh, they're the same, or they're not. They're really quite significantly different. You start looking at these LMP2 cars, see them with the rear covers off, the rear deck or the engine cover, and look down, and the engine's significantly lower. It's very much a race engine built for these cars, whereas our LMP3 cars, it's much more a road-based engine. It sits up a lot higher in the, in the chassis. So you can start to see, when you see the two cars semi-naked side by side, which I had the pleasure of earlier, it was a great comparison to look and have things pointed out. So, uh, so full, full field for this now. And of course, this is, um, we're very lucky here, we're getting 10-minute sessions of each of the categories. Of course, tomorrow we get all 34 cars out on track together. Yeah. And this is where it starts to get interesting. We're just defining the differences in cars and drivers getting through traffic. And of course, we've got those GTE cars out there as well, which are going to be you know, at a different pace. So they've got to work their way through. And these drivers have had experience of all cars being out on track this weekend. There were two 90-minute free practice sessions for everybody to get involved. There have also been specific bronze test sessions as well to give the lesser experienced gentleman drivers, if you like, although I'm never a big fan of that term. Uh, but some people do call them gentleman drivers, in inverted commas. That gives them the racetrack to themselves just to get their eye in, realise where the grip is this weekend and recall memories of Monza maybe from last year or or a couple of years ago, whenever they were last racing. And it's, uh, in case you were wondering, uh, that fuel tank size you talk about, it can generally produce a 38, 39, maybe 40-minute stint. So you think about how many you can fit in 40-minute stints into four hours. Well, that's six stints and therefore five stops. And that's what the strategy that most of the teams will be working to, unless we have a drama, as indeed we have had now for car 20, which actually was a bigger incident than I had first read bouncing off the tyre barrier for Anders Fjordback in the high-class racing car. So that was losing the car on the first bit of Ascari and it broke left and there's really not much uh, real estate between the edge of the track and the scenery there, Peter Snowden. Not at all. I imagine buying it would be very expensive, though, being, being Monza in a Royal Park. I'd imagine the value is very high, even if that's all a little bit of grass there. But uh, rear wing looks a little bit loose on that. Some of that's just a tap or something there. I'm not sure. We didn't see... 
the actual impact, but it just seemed to be shaking a little bit there, coming down into there. It might just be my eyes deceiving me, but just wondering if it's had a bit more of an impact than, than we thought. I did see the impact. I think you were looking elsewhere, but uh, it was a nose into the barrier, and what might have happened then was it flicked the car around and it's caught the back as well. So, yes, I think I, I agree with you that the rear wing didn't look to be... As stable as you'd expect. ...connected to the, yeah. to the end plate, necessarily, and certainly not as stable, no. So maybe front and rear damage there. The front should be solved quite quickly because you could just unclip the nose and put a new one on. So let's hope... New set of tyres will be required as well, but let's hope that that car can still head out uh, and use the five more minutes of the session that, that remain. But that's the last thing you want in a very short session anyway to have an off on coolish tyres. So three cars in the pit lane, actually, and this fuel back's made it back again. Uh, Philippe Albuquerque comes in as well now to make it four cars, so that'll be for a tyre change, you have to think, as Nick De Vries goes over the line to set the fastest time of the session so far. Nicolas Jamaz in the pits, and Kubis Michowski's in the pits as well for inter-Europol competition. But G-Drive, number 26, Nick De Vries, top with a 134.062. That's nearly two-tenths of a second quicker than Philippe Albuquerque, who arrives on pit lane now, and they are indeed switching the tyres. That's slightly surprising. I think they, if they weren't, I thought they were going to go into the front of it, but they are keeping the whole set on it. Um, I'm slightly surprised by that, and maybe there's something we'll, we'll go and chat to Richard Dean or Gary or somebody a bit later on and try and find out uh, a little bit more of the background of that, because I thought in 10 minutes you wouldn't really have much of an opportunity to switch tyres. You wouldn't really go and uh, scrub a set in and then send him out for quicker tyres again. It's my thinking. I don't know. I'm absolutely speculating. And, well, not speculating. I'm second-guessing because it's slightly quite surprised at seeing uh, Philippe Albuquerque in the pits for a, for a tyre change with just under four minutes of a session to go. So he's only going to get one lap in, really. Yep. One worthwhile lap. Car rejoining the session is the 32 and the lights flashing like crazy from... Uh, who was that? Was that the other... That was the Edex Sport car, I think, of Richard Bradley, yeah, who's just crossed the line and gone quicker, but he wanted to make sure that Will Owen had seen him. There was a strict rule that says you can't cross the blend line coming out of the pit lane and to the track, but that line doesn't exist if you're already on the racetrack. So you cross it left to right, right to left, though, is properly illegal. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is that the reason they didn't change all four tyres at once, you only allowed two wheel guns across the line. So you have to do the fronts first and then the rears. And also, the, this year, you can't change tyres at the same time as a car being refuelled. So there's always a question mark. Do we take tyres in the race and a longer stop, or do we risk it and gain the time in the stop, but you're on all the rubber, therefore? So there is always, you know, there are pros and cons to every movement you make in the pits. Three minutes to go, and Nick DeVries is quickest. He's now in the pit lane, presumably taking new tyres, but if they're going to go for another lap, they need to send him now because he's got to get round and start another lap with seconds to spare if indeed they do send it or does Nick De Vries think that a 134.0 is good enough there was another change there that was John Lancaster up to 6th position in the Goodyear shot Algarve Pro Racing car both of Stuart Cox's machines from Algarve Pro Racing on Goodyear tyres as is the BHK motorsport car of Sergio Campana and the 4th car on Goodyear's the Panis Racing Machine of Nicola Jama yet to set a time. We haven't had times from Anders Fjord back because of the crash at Ascari. Nicola Jama's had times deleted. Kubish Michowski has been out in the session, but he's now back in the pits with no time at all. So that, no, I beg your pardon, he has been out in the session. I'm misreading it. So there's obviously a drama for inter Europol competition. That car has not taken part in qualifying at all. Desperate for track space there. That was uh, Tom Laurent looking at the inside of the Richard Mille car of Tatiana Calderon in between the two Lesmos. As now reaching the second chicane is Philippe Albuquerque, and he's up. That's the end of the first sector, actually. The braking area for the second chicane is the end of the first sector, and he is quicker than anybody else with a 30.6. Impressive stuff. He has been the absolute standout driver of this season, but not just the United Autobots, in the whole in the whole season has been a man to watch but he's already up by you say that 0.023 is that how much he's up by but yeah. that's how close it is here that's up is up it's purple and that's that and he's taken every single pole position this season so he has a record to uphold as well so absolutely on rails coming through the last scoring there he's so neat so precise you can see why he's got the time so I didn't mean to cut across the joint no, no. it's just, it just absolutely just precision into parabolica 
is he going to complete this lap? It's down slightly now. The best lap he's done is a 34.062 is the pole position De, De Vries G-Drive car and crosses the line. Yes. He's done it. He's done it. 133.9 just dipped under that. Uh, that's, it's also psychological that when you want dip under the 134s. 133.928 for Philippe Albuquerque with 30 seconds left on the clock. So he that's his time. No, because he can count this one, can't he? Could go quicker yeah. again. He could count he this. He got across the line without seeing the chequered flag, and I'm also intrigued to see where 26 is, just ahead of him on the road, actually. So they occupy virtually the same bit of track that Nick de Vries in 26 at the second chicane. And just behind him, now with Paul, provisionally, is Philippe Albuquerque. And Albuquerque needing to flash the lights coming out of the Della Roger chicane because ahead of him was the EDEC sport car of Richard Bradley, who in turn is trying to improve on his position so far of eighth. John Lancaster's in the pits and he still has the fastest of the two Algarve Pro Racing cars, but John is going to finish things there with a 135.181. Over the line goes the 35 car Sergio Campana and that is the first car that sees the chequered flag. And what did Richard Bradley do on his weekend off last weekend? Raced a 1930s Aston Martin Silverson just to go completely opposite. But it's a Le Mans car, period Le Mans car, so he's kept the, kept the lineage there. But uh, talk about diversity and having to adapt. Jama goes ninth, so that was a better time for him. He just needed a time, frankly, did, did Nicola Jama for Panish Racing, a 135.225. And Nick de Vries crosses the line now, but does not get pole position. He did go quicker, and he got within 93 thousandths of a second of Philippe Albuquerque, who we're still waiting for Albuquerque to come across the line in fact he's already in the pit lane and is starting his celebrations now the double fist pump inside the cockpit because he knows that his record is intact a pole position at Ricard at the start of the year followed up by Spa, Ricard and now Monza extra points for the championship and I really get the feeling that Albuquerque knew he was in a fight there very late on indeed for Duquesne team Konstantin Tereshenko backs himself a second row start car third goes third fastest with a 134.435 so it's Albuquerque with a 133.9 De Vries with a 134.0 and uh, Tereshenko the Russian 134.4 but Philippe Albuquerque just I run out of superlatives sometimes when it comes to this Portuguese driver we're heading to his home race next time up of course a man from Quimbra in the north of the country but we head way south to Portimao and it's another pole position well, I think you can see how much that meant to him. There's some great uh, footage in the pit lane there of him in the car, and he's punching the dashboard and punching the air and not damaging the car, don't worry. <laughs> Just like Richard Dean and the guys, no, he's not damaging the car, don't worry. But absolutely, over, you know, another pole position, but that's meant something to him so much. He's sitting there just soaking it up and I'm sure obviously Haley will be down there to have a chat with him very shortly we'll get to find out just how much that does mean to him but a great uh, unbroken record for uh, Philippe Albuquerque there in the United Autosports car pole position once again uh, undefeated uh, as he's standing on the car now absolutely fist pumping both sides in the air so so pleased with himself and uh, you couldn't get much tighter there 0.9 0.93 thousandths of a second you say across the line there we did I did wonder whether uh, De Vries would manage it in the G-Drive car but um, uh, they would say they were almost together on the track uh, the G-Drive racing car did go across the line and uh, young Philippe Albuquerque opted for the pits job done he did yeah um, he knew and it was that close but he, he knew and it was that's that's uh, that's just confidence isn't it it's just confidence he felt like he'd done enough I'm sure and it was a 133.9282 yes just be under a tenth of a second faster than Nick DeFries's time who is a superstar in his own right for G-Drive Racing then Duquesne Konstantin Tereshenko leaving it incredibly late to pop into third position and skip ahead of uh, Nicola Lapierre for Cool Racing Will Owen in the other United Autosports car gets himself fifth place and Will remember is the silver he has uh, more experienced and sometimes faster or not always but sometimes faster drivers alongside him but obviously the decision was made there to throw Will out and give him the responsibility for pole, for setting pole position and he uh, finished fifth but I like that in terms of switching roles a little bit and giving the silver rated driver the crucial session Thomas Laurent in sixth place number 39 for Graf John Lancaster for Algarve Pro Racing 7th quickest number 24 Richard Bradley EDEC Sport 8th Nicola Jamin 9th for Panis Racing and Gabriel Aubry for Algarve Pro 
in 10th, ahead of Tatiana Calderon, Ben Hanley, Sergio Campana and Anders Fjordback. We didn't see the inter-Europol competition car out on track because of damage, because of uh, damage incurred in free practice two. And thank you to Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com for updating me with that. So the 34 Ligier, yes, they decided they weren't going to make qualifying and instead would dedicate uh, this session and the rest of the day to repairing that car in time for tomorrow's race, which is an 11 o'clock start. So hopefully all will be well regarding Inter Europol. They'll start at the rear of the field, of course. Let's hear, though, from Philippe Albuquerque's teammate, Phil Hansen, who's now chatting with Hayley Edmonds. Phil, four out of four pole positions this season. You're getting quite handy at this. And, of course, this puts you in fantastic stead for four hours of Monza tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly where you want to be, especially at a track like Monza, with Turn 1 being incredibly difficult um, at the start of a race. Um, I mean, massive credit to Felipe. It's four for four. Uh, I've never seen anyone in the most dominant qualifying so much, and it's it's never like a dominating pot lap. You know, it was less than a tenth this time. Uh, it looked like it was just the final sector that, that got him the, the gap to, to Nick. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough race tomorrow, and he did the job today, so we just need to complete it tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks. So I make it as a round figure of 30 points that Phil and Philippe now have over their sister car, actually, the 32, which sits second in the championship. But there's no love lost between either side of United Autosports. They sit next door to one another in the garages. Uh, but the 22, desperate to win ahead of the 32 and vice versa. Quite a lot of camaraderie within that team, I think it's fair to say. 26 G-Drive Racing will start second on the grid. And the 39 car of Graf. Now, how did they qualify? Sixth place. So they are currently fourth in the championship. So that did not take too long, did it? Three lots of 10 minutes. Uh, disappears very, very quickly indeed. We have our grid for round four of the European Le Mans series. With thanks to Peter Snowden from Johnny Palmer. Join us later for the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMans.com.